Howdy, fans! You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. For as good as the win was against the Vancouver Canucks on Tuesday, I think you can make a strong case that the game on Thursday night against Arizona, a 4-0 shutout win for the Lightning, might have been their best game of the year. Not because it was the most recent, although I think that may have something to do with it because it's fresh in our minds. But Arizona, I think, is a little bit better than Vancouver. I think the roster from top to bottom might be a bit more complete, although I don't know if they have the star power that Vancouver has. That being said, both teams came into their game against Tampa Bay this week playing well, and Tampa Bay put up 13 combined goals. They're not going to win every game like that, but what you're starting to see during this nine-game win streak is how John Cooper wants his team to play throughout the season. They're playing with speed, they're playing with passion, but they're also having guys on the forecheck come back and help on the back end, and that has allowed this team to be very successful defensively. Somebody asked me on uh, Twitter the other day, are you going to gloat to say I told you so when it came to Tampa Bay and their improvement this year? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because I get the frustration. The real test, and you've heard me say this before, is going to come in the playoffs. But if they play this way going into the playoffs, I think you feel a little bit more comfortable in a seven-game series than maybe in years past. Time will tell, but what the Lightning are doing is pretty impressive. It is Lightning Power Play Live. Glad you're with us here on a Friday. Big show planned for you tonight. We got Jason Cullimore, former Lightning defenseman and Stanley Cup champ, coming up. Also to Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. As I said, hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Linelli. We have a good question for you today on the show. And it basically says, when it comes to the back end, which defenseman has impressed you the most this year with their play? And I do really think there are three guys that come to the forefront. Mikhail Sergachev. Kevin Shattenkirk, and Jan Ruta. You know, for me, I probably would select Kevin Shattenkirk because at his age and where he was in his career, you can make a strong argument that he was on the decline and not an ascending player. But I think maybe it's because he's playing with Sergachev, and maybe that speaks to how good Sergachev has been. Kevin Shattenkirk is due for a nice pay raise next year, but more importantly, I think he's due to help this team do big things, hopefully come playoff time. He's been fantastic, and I'm not sure I expected him to be this good this soon. I think probably number two would be Jan Ruta if I had to rank them in order. Jan Ruta, let's face it, I'm not sure what to make of his play. Is it because he's playing with Victor Hedman? Is it because he's another year in the Lightning system? Or is this just one of those years where everything's coming together and this is the type of defenseman Jan Ruta will be? I don't know. But what I do know is he's played well and hasn't hurt the team. And it probably speaks to how good Victor Hemin is as a defenseman more so than anything else. But that being said, you still have to produce. And Jan Ruta has done that. I'd probably have Mikhail Sergachev as number three because I think we all thought at some point he would get to this point in his career. He's been a dynamite player offensively, but he's also grown defensively. And in some ways, it's not surprising that he is where he is right now in his progression. 
So weigh in on that, please, and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, we got some good news, I think, coming out of Lightning Camp today. Of course, you saw that Pilat and Maroon both had to leave the game yesterday with injuries. John Cooper said Andre Pilat is day-to-day with a lower body injury. Ryan McDonough has been ruled out for the weekend. He will be considered day-to-day after the road trip. So from that standpoint, not terrible news for the Lightning. Taylor Hall's hit on Andre Pilat. I thought it was somewhat dirty. Uh, the league, I'm sure, will look at it. But uh, Pilat, it's unfortunate. He seems like a guy that can't avoid the injury bug. When he's been healthy this year, he's been fantastic. The question becomes, how long will he be out? John Cooper doesn't think very long, and I think that's a good thing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Also, too, I think when you take a look at McDonough, no need to rush him back. And there's really no need to rush any of these guys back. You're playing well. You've got a nice spot in the standings. And for the most part, I think when you take a look at uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and their depth really coming to the forefront. Also, too, Pat Maroon was on the ice today. Uh, He left midway through last night's Arizona game after taking an elbow to the face. And uh, so that's a good sign for sure. And uh, hopefully he won't miss any time. But look, injuries are part of the game. I think for the Lightning's case, they've been uh, doing a pretty good job of staying away from the injury bug. But more importantly, I think they have the depth to overcome some of these injuries. And if you're John Cooper, while you have back-to-back games coming up here starting tomorrow... Don't rush anybody back. Go with the guys you have, and let's see what happens. But Tampa Bay has won nine games in a row, folks, and you have to feel a lot better with how they're playing. I know for me, uh, night and day in in terms of what they're doing defensively and specifically their forwards coming back to help uh, on the forecheck, that is something that can continue in the playoffs. And kudos to the coaching staff, I think, for getting this message through to the players, and the players certainly are responding to that type of coaching. We'll talk to Jason Collimore when we return. Hit me up on Twitter again, at Greg Linnelli. Glad you're with us here on a Friday on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Kita Kutrop, left circle, cross ice, Johnson, right circle. Shoot, score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Linnelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live continues on a Friday recapping the Lightning's win over the Coyotes yesterday. That's nine in a row for the Bolts as they get set to take on the Flyers tomorrow night. Remember, only three home games in the month of January. The schedule continues to be weird, I think, for the Lightning, but so far they kind of weathered the storm, and don't look now. The Tampa Bay Lightning are in second place. Here to talk about it a little bit more, our good friend, former Lightning defenseman, Stanley Cup champ, Let's welcome back to the program, Jason Collimore. Collie, great to be with you again on this Friday. And boy, nine wins in a row. And it and it feels like every one of those wins, uh, they haven't been, I don't want to say cheap wins. The Lightning have earned it. They've dominated some of these games. They've done things the right way. I think that's what's been most impressive, especially these last two against really good teams. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh the games, the opponents haven't been easy. Uh, and, you know, obviously during the, the season up until this streak, everyone's been talking about how they've been on and off and on and off. Just seems like everything's clicking for them now. You know, it, it, it's kind of surprising, though. It was Vassie's first shutout this year, which, uh, 
you know, I'm sure he's he's glad to have under his belt and probably wishes he has had a couple more. They changed the lines, the forward lines a little bit. And, you know, what what I've seen from it is they've taken a line, they'll take a line that's successful and they spread those guys out throughout the lineup and, and it just seems like everything's been contagious right now. And uh, the way they play, you know, they had, uh, what, Kalorn, Sorelli and Stamkos together, and then for a while, and they were doing well, they split them up, and and things seemed to be spread out with the, the way they played together. They continued doing that now on different on other lines, and, and you know, it just seems to be working for them. And it, it's great to see that happen, and, and we've talked about it, the, the play of Alex Kalorn, how, how he's been going, and um, the last couple of the games, it seems like uh, Stamkos and Point and Kucherov are really putting things together. Well, let me ask you about changing in the lines. Brian Engblom brought this up a, a couple of shows ago on the last call, uh, Cully, and he had said that one of the reasons why he thinks Cooper is doing this, even though we've seen some line combinations work really well, is he felt like it's important to keep everybody involved. It's important to have everybody playing with each other at some point because you never know when your number may get called in a game to play with certain players, but also, too, to just make feel, to make everybody feel part of the process. So, in other words, Tyler Johnson maybe early on was struggling to find a role, but then, you know, all of a sudden maybe he's playing with Palat and maybe finds himself on a line with Kucherov and maybe Kalorn goes down and is playing with Maroon and Paquette. Uh, Paquette line has been good, but maybe they started to dry up a bit offensively. You put Kalorn with them, and all of a sudden it gets them going a bit. I mean, do you buy that, that it's it's a way to keep guys fresh and really an opportunity to play just with different guys is a good thing? Yeah, it definitely seems to be working. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, uh, uh, you know, I, I do coach a little bit. Obviously, it's youth sports, but... Um, you do tend to find that when you're coaching that you put certain guys together and you kind of have a mindset that you want to keep them together. Um, and, and it is a little tough to, to shift lines and, and to change things, um, you know, because you, cause you kind of get set on that. And, 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 you know, Coach Cooper doesn't, doesn't – uh, doesn't look at things that way he he likes to to change things up and and he'll do it within a game not just or within a period um and and in doing that he has found combinations that work that maybe uh other coaches wouldn't think to put together and i think that's what's what's great about it and, and um like you said when uh when you have a player who's doing well when you have a line that's doing well, let's put it that way, um, you can look at Kalorn, Stamkos, and Sorelli. They they were playing well for for quite a while. Um, as a coach, you're going to say, "Well, why why am I going to split them up? You know, they're doing well." Um, but Coach Cooper says, "Well, if if I split those guys up and put them on different lines, then their success." Might translate into uh, success for other for other guys on, on throughout the lineup, and that's what's happened. And it's a uh, as a coach, it's it's difficult to 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 think that way, because when uh, when it, when a line or a D pair are being successful, 
you you tend to want to keep them together. And uh, but yeah, like you said, it, it it's working to to spread the the wealth, if if you want to say that, to to other players. And 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 it does. It makes them feel uh, feel more important. Makes them feel more confident. And uh, and they go out there and they they feel like they're more part of the team when when things are mixed up like that. When you get to play with with players who you feel are 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 playing well at the time. Jason Collin, we're joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Cully, do you notice the forwards doing a better job coming back and being better on the forecheck defensively? It seems like maybe that's the one big difference from this year to last, that the guys are buying into what the coaches were preaching at the beginning of the year when they discussed about changing how they want to play a bit. It seems like that's the most obvious observation, but are you witnessing that, that it's really, uh, while Vassy's playing well and the defensemen are, are doing better and blocking shots, that it really is uh, the forwards coming down and, and busting it to make sure that you know, you're not seeing those cross-ice passes get through and seeing those odd-man rushes as much as maybe we did last year. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, something that's very noticeable, and, and especially, you know, through these last 10 games or so. Um, the forwards having that commitment to, to play defense, it, it's a tough thing. Um, you know, as a forward, as, as, as a player in general, you're – always pushing on the offensive side of things. So it's easy to have that extra commitment and that extra effort when you have the puck and you're trying to score. It's a little little harder to do when uh, when the other team is coming back into your end as a forward to get back and, and to work hard to, to break up plays, but they're doing it right now. And a prime example, you know, in, in last night's game was uh, Tyler Johnson coming back on uh, – Adam Hall, or not Adam Hall, <laughs> on Hall, who maybe uh, him had too. The and, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, who, who had the had 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 a you know a little bit of a step on on, on the defense. He came back and he, he uh, broke up the play, and, and uh, you know it, it's plays like that as as a team that just makes you feel confident as. Because as a defenseman, you're saying you, you'll go over and, and you know say great job, thanks for you know covering me and all that stuff, and um, you know it just gives you that that feeling that we're all in it together. Well, and I think it gives you, at least for me, it did uh, a good feeling that when these games get a, a little tighter, more meaningful, that the lightning structure is going to be put in place and not change as much. Sure, there's going to be breakdowns in games, Cully. We all know that. I think it's tough to play a really good 60-minute game without having those breakdowns. But it really does feel like the lightning finally have it in their head that don't cheat, play the right way. And then if you do that, that typically doesn't go into slumps, the effort and wanting to come back and back check. And I think that gives you one of the reasons why, or maybe it gives you hope that once the playoffs do start, that the Lightning will play a certain way and that style will be more conducive to playoff hockey than maybe what we've seen before where, you know, at times they were good defensively, but other times there were some breakdowns. Yeah, and, and, and it's not a coincidence that since they've been playing that way or, or, or been more consistent playing that way the last little while that their offense has really come on. Yeah. You know, they, they've been able to score these goals and, uh, you know, eight, nine goals in some games, 
and the reason why is because they're 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 playing well defensively, which is uh, something that 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 can be hard to grasp for a lot of players, especially with the offensive-minded players. If you tell them, well, listen, if you play well defensively, you'll get your opportunities offensively, and, and it it really does just make sense because you're you're spending less time in your defensive zone. You you're taking the puck away from from your opponent. You have control of the puck. You have control of the game, and things will open up uh, offensively from that. And, and you know, the thing is, when you have success doing that, as as a coach, you can show them the success they're having from doing it the right way. Um, and 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 success breeds success, and and it's contagious. And guys are are going to want to put forth that effort. They're going to want to. As players, you know when you when you played, you you want to be the guy who makes the play that makes the 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 film real, uh, the video the next day or before practice on the positive side. You don't want to be on the negative side of those videos and of those clips. So you know, guys are out there, and 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 I'm, I'm sure we're seeing that, uh, and guys wanting to be uh, on that and, and putting forth the effort during the game so that they can do it. And I don't think anybody would dispute that Andre Vasilevsky and Curtis McElhaney, to a lesser extent, have played better during this stretch. I think they are making the key saves at the right time. But, Kelly, it feels like this might be more about team defense than it is about the goaltenders playing really well. In fact, I think you can make the argument that maybe Vasi was better last year than he is this year, but the good thing is the way they're playing this year, I don't know if Vassy has to be unbelievable every game. Yeah, and, and you know, they know that he can be if needed, and and, and that's a good thing. But, yeah, I, I do agree. And, you know, it, it's interesting, too, uh, something that I, I, I kind of, when I was watching the, the game last night, um, we talked about the forward lines and change and everything, but, I mean, you look at the D pairings that they have right now. I mean, when Sean Kirk first came, you know, he was, they were trying him with different guys, <clears throat> trying to see uh, who he would fit with. Probably for, for most people, we wouldn't have thought that, uh, that he, he'd be paired, you know, with Sergeyev. And, and yeah. they're doing well, they're doing well together. Like you probably would have thought, you know, two offensive minded defensemen, uh, you know, they're going to be lacking a little bit on the defensive side of things, but it hasn't worked out the way. Part of that is, you know, the emergence of, of Sergeyev and his confidence, but um, the other part is, and, and, you know, just like I said, for an offensive forward, if you play well defense, defensively, it'll turn into offense. Well, if you have offensive-minded or skilled defensemen, for them, it's almost like, the opposite. If you have the puck, control the puck, and you're on the offensive side of things, then you're not spending so much time in your defensive zone. Um, so you you have that, uh, you know, and, and Ruda playing with Hedman. I mean, he he wasn't even in the, in the lineup for the first part of the season. So um, you know you have these pairings and and these guys stepping forward um, and and showing and proving that that they can uh meet up to to these challenges and and, and play well a, a, as a team and it and it's just 
solidified, um, you know, everything throughout the lineup. You know, I'm wondering, Kelly, and you tell me if I'm completely off base or if I'm onto something. You know, some players are, are system players that if they play within the confines of what the coaches want, they can really excel. And maybe when you don't have a, a strict system and you throw a guy in the lineup, maybe um, his skill sets are, are exposed a bit. I'm wondering, do you feel like that's what's happening with Jan Ruta this year? Because, I mean, we didn't see this last year. and Maybe there are a lot of reasons for that, but it does seem like he's more comfortable this year. Maybe it's just another year with the Lightning organization. But he looks like he belongs. And I think at times last year, maybe that wasn't the case. Do you think having a better understanding of what the Lightning wants to do defensively and the forwards coming back, has that benefited a guy like Ruta more than somebody else who uh, you know, maybe relies more on their skill set rather than the structure involved? Yeah, it, you know, obviously when you have a team playing well and, and playing within the structure, like you said, the forwards helping out defensively. Uh, for a defenseman, it's going to help, obviously. I mean, the team's going to play better. I think part of it, obviously, is is being more comfortable with the guys and, and being more comfortable with, with the system that the team plays. But I also think part of it is just like we were talking about with the forwards and and playing with different guys. You have Ruta now playing with Hedman. I mean, what kind of confidence does it put in, into a, a player that they have the confidence in him to play him with someone like Hedman? play them against the other team's top lines. And then on the other side of it, to start having success with it, it's going to grow his confidence. It's a lot different being in that scenario for Aruda than it is being that fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman that is used sparingly. And, you know, once you get that confidence as a player and you realize that you can do the things that that you want to do, the, the things that the coaches want you to do, that they tell you to do, and you can go out there and do it on a consistent basis, it, it's almost like you take that next step forward, and I think that's what we're seeing from him. Yeah, what we're seeing is good play, and whether that's because he's playing with Victor Hedman or it's just another year in the system and he feels more comfortable, who knows, but I think Julian Breezewa, really an underrated trade, it's it's turning out to be because you know you, you got rid of Slater Cuckoo, you have Jan Ruta, who is in your top six. Cuckoo wasn't going to get that opportunity, uh, maybe because of numbers, maybe because he didn't deserve it. But Jan Ruta is deserving of this opportunity, and Julian Brisewa should be commended for that trade. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back more with Jason Callimore here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. Lightning Power Play Live rolls along on a Friday. Greg Lanelli with you, former Lightning defenseman and Stanley Cup champ. Jason Cullimore has been gracious enough to hang on for one more segment. Don't forget, Matt Larkin from the Hockey News is going to be joining us in segment four. Out of all of the defensemen this year, who has surprised you most with their play because I actually think there are a couple, Cully. I mean, you can either go Shattenkirk, Ruta, Sergachev. It seems like all of them have either rebounded from the previous year or have taken a couple of steps in their progression 
as defensemen. Is there one guy that, that maybe sticks out that you, you kind of say, wow, I, I wasn't really expecting this, and what I'm seeing is, is pretty good? Well, I mean, if I was to look at it, it'd be just because I, I would have to say Shattenkirk because I, you know, obviously you hear and, and you see him play, you hear the rumors about about his play and, and how it's kind of, uh, you know, obviously he wasn't having success in, in New York when he was there. I, I think that would be part of it, but I mean, right there next to it has got to be Sergachev. A player like Sergachev, you could see the potential. You kind of had to wait for him to feel more comfortable defensively. And, you know, last year he struggled a little bit on the offensive side of things, which I, I think was kind of uh, compounded things for him a little bit. But because he wasn't having the success offensively last year, I think he, he focused a little more on the defensive stuff, on, on, on the battles in the corners, and now we're seeing the fruits of those labors this year, and plus the offense is, is coming uh, on for him, and, and it just seems like he's getting more confident in each game. I think they're, that those two are right there as 1A and 1B as far as uh, on defense. And the fact that they're playing together, you know, not all the time, but quite a bit, you know, just just makes that all, all the more so a, a surprise because, we, like I said, we wouldn't have thought uh, that those two would, would be paired up together. Yeah, and I think that's really one of the questions. It might, it might be more for... Uh, a talk show host like me, Cully, to uh, you know bring topics to the uh, the public and and come up with something to discuss. But I, I do think I think that's the the interesting question is, does Julian Brisewaugh feel good about Jan Ruta and the defenseman overall that he's not going to do anything, even if it's a depth piece to add at the trade deadline to improve this team? I think you could even make that case with the bottom six. I really feel like for Carter Verhage and Mitchell Stevens, I don't want to say this is an audition heading into the trade deadline. But if they continue to perform well, does Julian Brisewaugh look at this and reevaluate what he wants to do? My own personal opinion is I think he does something because, A, he didn't do much last year. I think he wanted to give that team the benefit of the doubt to see what they could do. But I think he wants to make sure he has all his bases covered, and I think he will make a move. I don't think it's going to be a big one, but I think it'll be a depth piece. But you wonder if the way the guys are playing right now continue – does it make him pause and say, you know what, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have to do anything. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you got to think that the the urgency isn't going to be there to make a move. They're obviously not going to overpay for anything. But like you said, if they can find someone, we all we all know what happens. I mean, you, you look at last year with with Strawman getting hurt, you know, for for the playoffs. You know, obviously that was something that wasn't expected, but but you have to plan for that. You know, do they feel comfortable if they lose, God forbid, uh, you know, a defenseman through injuries or a forward or two? I mean, obviously they they feel that they have some young guys that can play. I think the young line, as they've dubbed it, with uh, Verhage, Stevens, and Gord has, has done extremely well. I mean, it, they're a line that can play with speed, and, and then they have the skill and, and lately the confidence to finish finish those plays off. So they're not just uh, go out there and, and and skate hard and and, and check line. They they have some skill and, and and can threaten the 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 opponents offensively. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Like you said, I I don't think you were going to see a major deal and 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 
you know, try to inject someone into the lineup who, you know, a lot of times it, it takes a little while for, for a new player to adjust and, and, and to have success and, and to really make an impact. So it'll probably be a depth piece, whether it's at forward or D. I, I'd imagine that they'll be looking, you know, it's hard to say because they, they, they do have Shen still there. Yeah. You know, they, they, have, they have depth throughout. But if something comes up that intrigues them or, you know, they, they feel that maybe be, a, be an improvement, on the lineup, in the lineup, they they might do something. But like you said, I I don't think it'll be. And I agree, I don't think it'll be anything anything major. It's probably one of the things, Kali, as a as a guy who played in the league, that you try not to pay too much attention to when it comes to the management side of things. But I'm wondering for the teams that you played for when you were in the league, the the trade deadline when let's say your team was doing well, but the the team made a move. How did you take it as a as a player? Did you did you look at it and say, you know what, we don't need anybody coming in here. We we have everything we could possibly need, and it's you kind of look at it and say that's kind of an insult, and you kind of move on. But then obviously you accept the player that's brought in, and because you want them to to feel good, or do you look at it and say, you know what, that guy's going to help us. Maybe it comes at the expense of uh, some minutes for me, but I get it. They're trying to improve the team, and for that I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because when you're playing, or at least when I was playing, that stuff was out of your control, and you, you kind of learn not to focus so much on it. The only time it really, you know, it would really bother you or, or you would start thinking about it is if they made a trade and it was someone that you felt was threatening your position on the team. But we we really didn't look at it as, why are we doing this? We really don't need it. It's something that was on the business side of things, and, and you know we just kind of went out and, and, and tried to play. I do think, though, that if they're looking to make a deal and, and try to shore up any position, I tend to believe that it's better to, to make that deal a little sooner before the trade deadline, give that player a little more time to acclimate to the system and to the players and do it, do it that way rather than... than you know, trying to do it right at the trade deadline and, and uh, you know, them not having quite as much time with the guys before playoffs start. Jason Collimore joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Uh, Kali, can you make a case that Alex Kulorn, midway through the year, has been the team's MVP? I, I definitely think you could make that case. You know, if you were to look at things, obviously he's having a career year. He's been consistent. It's always a good thing when you when you have questions like this because it, it just means that the, you have have guys being being successful and and you know we've heard chatter about Kalorn for for a while now. You know how they thought you know he might be one of the guys that they move and you know he wasn't producing based on what he was making. I mean, obviously now he he's the way he's been producing so far he's a steal so um it's amazing how things can change you know he's been known as one of those guys who produces in playoffs and you know has scored some big goals and big time in the game throughout a game throughout a series and uh yeah i mean i mean he's definitely there in in contention for it uh if if you were to to try to uh to put the MVP title well, on, on one of the guys. When you see a guy at 30 have a career year, what does that tell you? Is it just things have clicked for him? 
Um, is it a guy who maybe is just having a fluky good year? I mean, I, I don't think that's the case with him. But, you know, you don't see guys at 30 really start to, you know, uh, do away with what they've done previously in terms of statistics. It seems like he's getting better. And, uh, look, I think the Lightning are going to take it because I'm not sure – uh, the hope was always there, but I'm not sure you you were banking on that coming into this season. Right. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is him embracing the, his role, if you want to say that. Like, he's not necessarily the player who's going to go end-to-end and dangle through everyone. It's more of that power forward. We're seeing him... Um, you know, take that position in front of the net a little more, uh, working on deflections and screens. You know, we're seeing a lot of those types of goals that he's in the right position and, and um, you know, on the power play, obviously, and, and getting deflections, you know, those types of things. And I think um, I've seen him work on that in practice. I think he's, uh, you know, put the time and the effort into to improve on that, and 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 he's seen the results, and and like I said throughout even the our talk here today is success breeds success. If you work on something and you get success from it, you're going to want to keep doing it. You're going to want to keep working at it, um, and I think that's what we're seeing. And it's more of uh, him finding his role. Maybe the, the, the coaches sort of explaining what they see as his role and, and him embracing it and working on it. All right, Kelly, before we let you go, what do you make of the weekend here? you got a road trip. You're against the Flyers on Saturday. Lightning don't have very many home games this month, and it's been a weird schedule for them, but they've uh, been able to plow through, and here they are, uh, second place in the Atlantic Division. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> You know what a difference a, a, a few weeks make, and then the thing is now, obviously, with with the win streak they have going, that that's going to be something in their mind. That's going to be motivation for them. So obviously, we've seen the last last few games. It really doesn't matter how well the other team is playing or the opponent. They're they're going to be up for it, and and hopefully they can keep this thing going. Kelly, good stuff. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll see if the Lightning can continue this win streak. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Greg. Jason Cullimore joining us there. Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. He's up next on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a miraculous stop. The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. Players usually have a pretty good feel on things. Um, it was a good one, though. It was uh, especially against a team that one had won. You know, we played one team that had won seven in a row and another one that had won four in a row. And uh, I did pretty well against them. So, you know, to do that and play these teams that are not only are they good teams, but they're hot, um, you got to be doing something right. And that's what the boys are doing. The boys are doing something right. John Cooper after the game last night. Tampa Bay wins their ninth game in a row, and you look now, and they're in second place in the Atlantic Division. Here to talk about it a little bit more, our good friend from the Hockey News. Let's welcome back to the program Matt Larkin. Matt, great to be with you, buddy. Thank you so much for joining us here in uh, Tampa. And you heard John Cooper 
comment about Steven Stamko saying that maybe that was the best win of the year. I guess we shouldn't be completely surprised that they finally got to this point and they're playing some good hockey. It, it, it took a little longer than most expected, but this can't be a shock to people that follow the NHL, can it? No, definitely not. A team that won 62 games last year, and you know, despite the bad playoff result, we knew the talent was still there for this team to be a major contender. We still picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year. And the funny thing is, when they had the slow start, people were asking me a month or two ago, okay, who's your sleeper team right now? And I kind of laughed and said, uh, it's Tampa Bay. If you're asking me for a team that's not doing so well, that's going to do a lot better later, it's Tampa Bay. And I think it's for multiple reasons. One, maybe you just needed to, sh- to shake off the fog of last season. A lot of players, you know, lightning players throughout the summer, they were very talkative about it, really stuck in their memory. And the other thing was just the NHL schedule was very strange this year for teams that went overseas. The lightning, you know, I was joking, people, oh, every looking for standings, teams have played 30 games, lightning had played four. And, you know, they were way behind just in terms of actually getting to play hockey. So I figured they were going to gradually climb. Uh, whether they were, you know, I didn't expect them to win nine games in a row, but I figured they'd start playing better just based on the talent. I still say this is the most talent-rich roster in the NHL. And the other thing is, I think that the narrative of this season has been a best-case scenario. We saw what happened a couple of years ago with the Washington Capitals. They win the President's Trophy two years in a row. They bomb out in the playoffs a couple of years in a row, and they sort of look back and say that they were too good too early, clinched a playoff spot too early, didn't play meaningful games down the stretch, and they were mentally soft going to the playoffs. I think that's exactly what happened to Tampa last year. They got caught up chasing the records. Now there's no 62-win season in sight for this team. Although nine wins in a row, you never know. But I think now this team can focus on the big picture, and I think it's more likely that the Lightning are going to peak at the right time. They're going to be playing more meaningful games in the winter this year. This time last year, I feel like they were already almost locking up the President's Trophy. They were, for the most part, and you're right. They've got something to play for. And I've said all along here, Matt, that I, I felt like it was going to be a slow start just because human nature would suggest you're coming off a really disappointing playoff. I think it's going to take a while to get into the swing of things. But I also think, too, the adversity they have faced early on this year is helping them get to this point and will help them come playoff time. I think so, too. And, you know... Not that the Lightning had been, you know, if you look at the top four, it's not like Kucherov and Stamkos were having monstrous injury injury absences, but there were kind of mini periods of guys getting nicked up. Of course, Ryan McDonough's been out, and now maybe it's going to be Andre Pilat and Patrick Maroon, although I know John Cooper said the injuries don't sound serious, but it's still early to know. Uh, but at the same time, again, I, I, I really see the glasses half full for this team in that, you know, it's rest. And last year, a guy like Kucherov, for all we know, maybe he was more banged up than we even knew, but he's on his way to 128-point season, MVP, scoring title, all these marks that guys are chasing as a team and individual, whereas now, you know, the stats are behind them, and now they can focus on winning. And if it means, you know, resting a guy who's banged up for an extra game here and there, I think that it's going to pay off uh, when we get to the deep waters in the playoffs. I think it's going to be a better rested team. And the other thing I think that's, that's different with the Lightning this year is, not surprisingly, you're seeing some pretty exciting progression from newer members of the generation, most notably Anthony Sorelli. Always been a big fan of this guy, dating back to his junior days when he was Mr. Clutch. I think he's going to be one of the great kind of clutch scorers of this generation. Maybe he's going to be, you know, the equivalent of a, a Mike Keene or Claude Lemieux, you know, not, not playing style-wise, but the guy who always seems to be on winning teams and comes up big in the clutch. I see Sorelli having that kind of career. And I think he's been one of the best defensive forwards in the game this year. And he's someone who is already getting whispered in Selkie Trophy discussions. And when you have guys like that, the next generation maturing into greater relevance, it takes pressure off the superstar core of the team. 
Do you attribute Alex Kalorn's success or most of its this year with playing uh, with a guy like Anthony Sorelli? Or do you look at Kalorn as a guy who maybe is just finally coming into his own at 30 years old? Are you surprised he's gotten better as he's gotten older? And what do you make of his success this year? It's to me, it's been one of the more head scratching performances of the year. And that's not a disrespect to Alex Kalorn, but just at this stage of his career, we generally, you know, you know who a guy is. And maybe it's just a matter of finding the right chemistry, the right line mate. Uh, and I think what makes Kalorn very useful to the team is he's very well rounded, right? He can play in all situations. He's useful on the penalty kill, on the power play if you need him. He's got a pretty good big body as well. He's not a giant, but he's, you know, got decent size. So th- there's nothing that he's really deficient in, which makes him a versatile piece that you can move around the chessboard. And who knows? Maybe it's just you found the right fit chemistry-wise that he's been looking for for a long time. And he's shown flashes, of course, in the past, especially in the playoffs, of getting hot. I don't think, you know, he's on pace for, I believe, 74 points, something like that. I don't think that's what we're going to get from Alex Kalorn, but it does look like we are going to get a career year from him. Matt, the back end has really been elevated by the play of Kevin Shattenkirk and Mikhail Sergachev. Ironically, those two have been paired together for a good portion of the season. Are you surprised that tandem has worked so well? And are you shocked by their individual play this season? Uh, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that the tandem has worked well, um, just in terms of styles, uh, because they're both good puck movers. And I don't know, I, I wasn't picturing them being put together. Uh, but in terms of both of their success, I'm not surprised. And when the Lightning signed Shattenkirk, I, I had written about it, I think, the day of, saying that I think it was a great signing because Shattenkirk didn't have great support in the, as a New York Ranger, so his numbers were a bit suppressed, but his actual possession stats impact on the game was a lot more positive than he got credit for. So I figured dropping him into a relatively low-pressure situation in Tampa with a great team around him was a great setup for him to have a big bounce back. So I'm not surprised at all that he's done so. It's not like he was 35 years old, right? He still has good years left. And Sergeyev, he's a guy that, you know, he's still very young in defenseman years. He still has plenty of time to develop into a real star. And people have to just look no further than Victor Hedman. He's someone who, especially on the offensive side, it took him several years before he really blossomed. It's not like he was dominating as an 18-year-old in the NHL. And I think you're seeing maybe a similar progression from Sergeyev. He's, got, he's, got, he's just got it all, right? He's just got a huge frame and he's got mobility and he can be physical if he needs to be because he's got a big body. Uh, and I think it's just going to keep getting better. The next phase for Sergeyev is just seeing, you know, I've, I've been saying this for a couple of years, um, seeing how much John Cooper is going to trust him with bigger minutes. Because you're still, last time I checked, I think, I think Sergeyev is still around the 19-minute mark. So I'm excited to see what he could do, kind of like what we've seen with Dougie Hamilton this year in Carolina, when you, when you spike a guy to 22 minutes, 23 minutes. Uh, and Sergeyev might be a guy who, you know, I know it's chicken and egg, you know, does he have to earn the minutes? But he might be someone who just, when given more minutes, I think can just get into a better, better rhythm and play better. Uh, so that'll be something to watch in the second half. If you know, based on the way he's played this year, is he going to earn more trust, which I think he has, and does that mean more minutes? Matt Larkin from the Hockey News joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Matt, I don't think they'll be able to afford him, and I think we have to wait and see how this year plays out if he finishes strong. But would you make a play to try and keep a guy like Shattenkirk? And obviously you wouldn't pay him full market value, but an opportunity to win and play in an environment where he can be successful. Would you make a play to keep him around for a couple more years? I think within reason, you consider it. Um, especially if Shattenkirk is a guy who at this stage of his career, if he, if he decides he's made his big money and he's willing to say a slight discount. And of course, with the tax breaks, there's always that little advantage that Tampa has over most other teams in the league where you can pay a guy less in terms of the cap hit, uh, but it's still 
going to be the equivalent of making a decent amount of money, right? So I, I do think that'll help their chances. Uh, and with Shattenkirk, I, I think it's just a matter of the length of term. You know, he's someone who has been plagued by a bit of inconsistency, sometimes can land in a coach's doghouse for his overall intensity. And to me, that, that strikes me as the profile of someone who you don't want to give a six-year deal. I think you want to keep him hungry. So if he's willing to sign something for, you know, two, three years and at a you know reasonable price tag, I think you consider it. It seems like it's been a really good fit. Matt, the way the Tampa Bay Lightning are winning games is what's interesting this year. They're focusing on playing better defensively. The forwards are doing a better job coming back on the forecheck. And as a result, they haven't had to rely on Vassy to bail them out every game. Are you surprised they've been able to make that type of adjustment knowing what type of team they've put on the ice over the last few years? I'm not too surprised just because the overall talent level of this team, it's not just that this is an offensive juggernaut. It's just, it's an all around talented team that has guys who can do great things at both ends of the ice. You know, Andre Palat, one of the best defensive wingers of his generation. Uh, and uh, I mentioned Sorelli already, Braden points, great two way player. Uh, and McDonough in the lineup is a great shutdown guy, you know, when he's healthy. So, so the fact that the lightning are getting it done at both ends of the ice doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I am a bit surprised, you know, at the year that Vassie's having so far. He hasn't been terrible by any means, but by his standard, he hasn't been as good. Uh, but that's kind of exciting if you're Lightning fans, because you know it's only a matter of time before he gets hot, just based on his talent, his age. He's still right in the middle of his prime, reigning Vezina Trophy winner. I think he's a very strong bet to be as good as any goal in the league in the second half. So if you've already won nine games in a row, and you're not even seeing peak Vassie, that's scary for the rest of the league. And it's similar to what you're seeing with the Florida Panthers who have stayed above water after years of really bad starts. And they're doing it in spite of Sergei Bobrovsky, not because of Sergei Bobrovsky. And if Bobrovsky even returns to be 80% of what he can be, then the Panthers become a lot scarier in the second half as well. Matt Larkin joins us here on lightning power play live talking about this Tampa Bay lightning team, Matt, we won't know if this style of play will translate to the playoffs, but at least to this point, the coaching staff has gotten their message across to this team. I know John Cooper took some heat at the beginning of the season, but the players have responded to his coaching. And that's not always the case in this league. Is it when it comes to coaches and players? Well, especially when a coach has been around for a long time, you know, it's, it's an NHL wide thing where certain coaches have a shelf life and eventually, even if a team's successful, sometimes you just need to change up the voice. Uh, so I think it's a credit to John Cooper for being willing to adapt and change things up himself. Uh, I think that's a great form of self-preservation rather than, you know, if you see what happened in Toronto with Mike Babcock and the My Way or the Highway, and that eventually was his undoing, right? So I, I give full marks to John Cooper for that, for recognizing that the team's not perfect and needs to make some changes. For sure. And uh, did you feel like he was on the, the hot seats earlier in the year? And do you feel like as long as they make a pretty decent run in the playoffs, I mean, obviously you want to see them win the Stanley Cup if you're a Lightning fan, but do you feel like John Cooper and where he is with this Lightning organization, assuming they don't flame, flame out again, that you feel pretty good about his tenure here? I think so. I do think that Cooper was on a little bit of a hot seat, and it's not based on overall merit. It's just that when you get a team that's right in its championship window and it, you start to get the feeling of you know panic over wasting good years, sometimes you just need to change that voice to spark a team, whether the coach deserves to be fired or not. And if there are basketball fans out there in Toronto, uh, you know, going into last year, the Raptors, now the defending champs, shout out to the Raptors here in Toronto, they made a very bold move by firing their coach, even though they were a pretty dominant team. But they, they realized that they, too many years in a row, had great teams on paper and they couldn't get over the hump. So they took a risk and they handed the reins to Nick, to Nick Nurse. And 
bada bing, bada boom champion. So I do think based on that logic, which I, which I, I do think prevails across multiple sports, I did wonder if the lightning you know, continued to stumble early, if Cooper would be in trouble. Uh, now he's of course safe for the rest of the year, but if this team bombs out in round one again, I, I don't know again, whether it's fair or not. Uh, I think if this is another first round exit, you're going to have to see a change. Matt, because of how the team is playing, is there less urgency for Julian Breezewatt to do something at the trade deadline? And what would you like them to do, if anything? I agree that there's less urgency. I think this is a team that is so well-rounded. And if you look at what the knock on them was last year, uh, I think it was being a bit too easy to play against. But I think with Sorelli earning more responsibility in a shutdown role, that's helping. And I think bringing in a guy like Patrick Maroon, you know, the size of the team was missing, has helped. Uh, so I wouldn't be looking to make any major moves. This is already a, a fantastic hockey team. Uh, if you're looking to do anything, though, I think maybe you look at bringing in another maroon type. So, uh, again, if you're looking at just what was Tampa's undoing, they ran into a team in Columbus that the one advantage Columbus had over them was Columbus is a pretty, a pretty heavy, tough team to play against. And once Tampa got down, I think Columbus sort of was able to lean on them physically. Uh, so whether it's a guy like Josh Anderson who also is in Columbus, a player like that, I think bringing one more of those types in, if they can make it work cap-wise, would be a big help. What do you make of the Atlantic Division? Is it basically the three teams we thought were going to be there, going to be there at the end of the year with Boston, Toronto, and Tampa? Yeah, you know, it's the old Denny Green. They were who we thought they were, and I think that's the case. The Atlantic, still very top-heavy, and the Panthers were the team that I thought was the greatest threat to join that group. And that still seems to be the case. Buffalo, you know, has made some improvements, but hasn't gotten over that hump yet. Uh, I just think that they don't have the depth. The Ryan O'Reilly trade just really gutted them at center. And they ha- they don't have that shutdown guy who can take on the other team's best players since they traded Ryan O'Reilly. So I think that's going to be Buffalo's undoing this year. Montreal is another team that's hit the skids. And I think that's great news for them. They're developing one of the most deadly groups of prospects in the league. So if you're the Habs, there's really no point to be peaking right now anyways when there are three really strong teams at the top of the division. You're better off being good in a few years anyways, right? So, And I do think the Habs are going to be extremely dangerous in a few years. I really like the group that they're building prospect-wise. Uh, but it's just going to be another classic Atlantic Division bloodbath. Whoever gets those two, three spots is going to have a vicious first-round matchup again. Uh, although Boston proved last year that even if you know you go seven games and got one, they could still get all the way to the final. So maybe it's iron sharpening iron in that case. I mean, out of those three, Boston, Tampa Bay, Toronto, does one of those teams, Matt, have to finish in a certain place to avoid a certain matchup? Or are all three very capable of uh, advancing beyond the first, second, and third rounds? I think Boston is the most capable just from a mental perspective. They're, they have the most experience, they, and they're just such a well-rounded team. They're built to overcome anything. I think from a you know, mental uh, strength standpoint, it's the Leafs that need to finish first the most. Um, just because you know there's clearly a mental block with Boston, I'm sure it helps now having a new coach in. We've seen how it's buoyed the team. He's really deploying players so much differently, and until losing their last couple of games, they were the hottest team in the league other than Tampa. Uh, but I still think, you know, they there does seem to be a mental block. It's still a relatively young team. So they should have the most motivation to try and catch Boston, although there's, you know, they have a long way to go. Uh, and and there's already talk down here in Toronto. It's like, okay, well, finally, you've, finally the team's going to avoid Boston in round one. Well, what's your reward? Oh, it's uh, Tampa Bay. Oh, come on. Right? So I do think it's the Leafs that would be kind of rolling their eyes the most at their luck 
with the matchup. Uh, and and I'd say Tampa's in the middle there, and Boston would be the team that's best equipped to deal with it. What do you make of the, the coaching change? I don't think as we talked to you since then with Mike Babcock being out, um, and we can get into the ins and outs of why, but um, do you feel like obviously the team has responded positively to Sheldon Keefe? And what has he done differently um, outside of just being a completely different person than Mike Babcock? Well, it's funny. I think the easier question is what hasn't he done differently? He has done everything differently than Mike Babcock. And if you look at every single statistical category, whether it's power play, penalty kill, goals against, shots for it, name any category in the Leafs are better since Sheldon Keith came along. And the reason why is he's just looked at the player personnel on the team and completely changed the way he uses it. So Babcock is known for really rolling four lines not playing his stars very much relative to other stars around the league. And what does Sheldon Keefe do? He's given Austin Matthews, I think, something like six of his top ten career uh, games in terms of most ice time have come under Sheldon Keefe in the last two months or month and a half. So he's understanding to play his stars. And look who's now one goal behind David Pasternak, Austin Matthews, right? So Keefe realized what he had, a team that has, you know, at, at the top end, some high-end players. And all of a sudden, the star caliber players are playing much better. He took a guy like Cody Ceci, who's been one of the worst regulars in the NHL. He immediately demoted him. He took a guy like Tyson Berry, whose strength is playing on the power play. He immediately puts Tyson Berry on the top power play unit and does the same for William Nylander, a guy who you know, is not the most well-rounded player and needs to be in a more offensive role, trusted in a more offensive role to be effective. Nylander's on pace for a career year. So he's doing many different decisions like that that are directly contradicting sort of the old school my way or the highway Babcock mentality, which was always deferring to veterans. Uh, most famously in game seven last year when Patrick Marlowe played more minutes than Matthews in the third period. So the, the expression here is sort of that uh, Keith is, he's coaching for the Twitter likes at this point. And what it means is, you know, he's doing all the things that, that the fan base has been clamoring for Babcock to do. And so, so it's almost like the fan base is loving Keith's decisions so much that it feels like he's, he's crowdsourcing his coach decisions. I mean, look, Mike Babcock's an accomplished guy. He won a lot of games for Toronto. But to your point, the, the moves that Keith made sounded pretty basic and pretty logical that he would try to do some things to shake things up. And Mike Babcock never did that. Also never won a playoff series outside of uh, that uh, Stanley Cup final uh, the last time he got there uh, with Detroit and, and really struggled from that standpoint. Did his reputation take a big hit, uh, Matt, moving forward? And, and if you're a, a team looking for another head coach, do you have to be careful with Mike Babcock? Or do you look at his credentials and say, you know what, still a really good guy, really good coach. We can live with some of the issues maybe on and off the ice. I do think his reputation has taken some significant damage. Uh, you could argue that the best work he ever did was with the Anaheim Ducks when he took them to the 2003 Stanley Cup final uh, as, a, as a real underdog team. Uh, and if you look at the team, you know, the, the, the Red Wing team that he won the Stanley Cup with, well, that, that team had Pavel Datsuk and Nicholas Lidstrom and Chris Chelios and Henrik Zetterberg. And uh, he, for a lot of that time, he even had Dominic Hasek, right? So, he had a lot of Hall of Famers to work with there. And if you look at the gold medals that he won coaching Canada, I think that, you know, my dog could have just been on the bench barking and you could have just sent Sidney Crosby and company out on the ice. They probably would have won gold anyways, with all due respect to Mr. Babcock. Uh, and I think with the Leafs roster too, you know, they, they put their time in, they had a lot of high picks and they built up a strong roster. So you can make a case. Yes. Okay. They were successful again under Babcock. They got to the playoffs under Babcock, but I think what what they're showing now is, if anything, Babcock was holding them back from from doing more. So I do think his reputation has taken a significant hit, especially you know in light of the 
information that's been revealed with his sort of uh, mental abuse of the players uh, that he's even admitted to. Uh, that said, I, I still think eventually when this cools down, maybe it's in a year or two years, who knows, I think he'll work again because the one thing that Babcock does a good job of it is that he's given the keys to a completely broken down operation. He does bring structure and he does, he does take a really young team that sort of needs a taskmaster to respect and he can turn them into a competitive team. And he did do that well with the Leafs. He took the worst team in the league and he taught them how to play with structure and how to win. And they did get into the playoffs ahead of schedule, arguably. So uh, I think if you put him into another situation like that, a really scorched earth type of team, you know, a lottery pick type of team, he can help get that team to a, a state of relevance. And then when it's time to start winning playoff series, that's probably when you have to move on again. Uh, Matt, before we let you go, when you take a look at the Metro, the top three teams there, Washington, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh, uh, I mean, just solid up and down. But are we sleeping on the Penguins and what they're accomplishing without Sidney Crosby? The Penguins have been pretty remarkable in the past half decade. Uh, With Whatever it seems that they have the most adversity in, and when you want to count them out, it seems like that's when they're at their best. Uh, And I think a lot of the credit goes to Mike Sullivan for his system. And, you know, Penguins know how to play. As a unit, they play with a lot of speed. Uh, and, of course, Denny Malkin, who historically always seems to be at his best when he's, when he's asked to be the man, and he's done it again. He's playing at almost an MVP level since Sidney Crosby went down. And, you know, the assumption when Crosby was going to miss time was, okay, well, he's going to set out, and the Penguins might slide out of the playoffs, but at least he'll, he'll be healthy for the second half of the season. He can help them get there. Instead, because they've won so many more games than expected, it's giving Crosby extra time to recover. And when he's back, you know he's going to be 100%. There's going to be no motivation to rush him back because it seems already in good shape. And suddenly the Penguins, they do become a bit of a sleeper. Uh, I think the, the, the problem is what happened to Jake Gensel. I think losing him for a much longer-term injury is, is pretty devastating. And I don't know uh, if they're going to be able to recover from that. I think that Jim Rutherford, who's you know a historically aggressive GM, uh, will go to the trade waters and try and bring in a bigger name to offset that injury. The question just is, do the Penguins have the assets? Because they've been so good for so long, and they've traded away so many picks that they don't have a good front system right now. So they don't have really many exciting chips to dangle if you're trying to rent a high-end player at the trade deadline. Could dangle Matt Murray. I don't know if they'd want to. Um, You know, it's interesting, (laughs) because I think moving Gensel to long-term IR, right, they have that, that salary now that's freed up if they wanted to make a push for a Kreider, and as you mentioned, Rutherford's always a guy that gambles. I, I, last thing on Malkin, I, you know, I, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and so I've kind of watched his career develop along with Sidney Crosby. And, you know, look, I think he's 73rd right now all time in points. But when you take a look at the games he's played and the points he's put up, it's pretty remarkable because he's missed some time with injuries. He's 33, and he's averaging over, uh, what is it, a 1.3 points per game, which is. Uh, really phenomenal for his age. I mean, when it's all said and done with Malkin here, what type of player are we talking about legacy-wise? Well, I actually had this conversation in the office, talking to his office yesterday, and, and I was laughing. I still think one of the all-time hockey travesties is somehow Malkin not being included in the league's top 100 players of all time. Right. And what makes it extra funny is I was saying yesterday, I said, forget top 100, like, he's probably top 50. At this point, he's got two scoring titles. He's got an MVP. He's got a rookie of the year. He's got a Conn Smythe trophy. He's got every, he's won pretty much every major award you can win other than, I guess, the Selkie trophy yeah. uh, in the NHL. And he's one of the best players of his generation. And he's not, you know, typically 
spoken of in the same breath as Ovechkin and Crosby. But I think if you look at, especially if you consider, you know, McDavid Kucherov, the next generation, uh, and you and you look at sort of the aunts generation, I, I think Malkin is probably the third best in in that group behind uh, Crosby and Ovechkin. And I think he's one of the best ever to play the game. Uh, and I don't know if it's just a matter of playing in the shadow of Sid. It's, it's, and you can see a lot of parallels with Yarmir Yager uh, because he was always sort of under Mario Lemieux's shadow. Uh, and even maybe Mark Messier before he went over to New York and was sort of under Gretzky's shadow. Yeah. When you're on a team that wins a lot of championships and has multiple legendary players, there's always one guy who doesn't quite get the credit that maybe he deserves. And a Scotty Pippen, if you will. Maybe Denny Malkin's legacy will be as the Scotty Pippen of hockey. Could be. Could be. Averages over one point per game in his career. He's um, he's a pretty special talent, no doubt about that. Well, Matt, we always appreciate your abilities here on the show, and you've got your podcast and your articles that you write. Why don't you let everybody know where they can listen to the podcast and uh, where they can read your fantastic work? Well, thank you, Greggy. The podcast is everywhere. It's Spotify. It's Apple Podcasts. It's SoundCloud. You can find it in all those spots. And the main podcast is every Monday. We stream it live and alternating every Thursday. You've got Ryan Kennedy's perfect podcast. You've got my fantasy hockey Q and a podcast. Uh, so give them a listen or give them a watch. If you want that live stream, it's available to you. And uh, if you want to read our magazine, next issue coming out is our rookie issue, which just went to press today. So it'll be out on newsstands uh, in a couple weeks or available to order online. Beautiful. Maddie, great job, buddy. We'll do it again soon. You got it, man. Thank you. Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. That's going to wrap it up for us tonight on the show. We'll be with you again tomorrow starting at 5.30 as we get you set for Lightning and Flyers. Thanks, everybody, for listening right here on Lightning Power Play.